Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Banker Pippo YouTube channel. I'm Bryce, and welcome to episode 7 of Cocking Kernels. We've got a packed show for you all today. We're going to talk a little bit of Loki episode 3. We're going to review what remains of Edith Finch, which you can find on Xbox Game Pass. We're also going to unbox the GoVFlow Light Pro light bars that you can put behind your TVs or your computer monitors of choice. And then we are also going to do season 4, episode 9 of The Handmaid's Tale Talk. And I'm pretty sure there's other things in there that I'm forgetting, but stay tuned to find out. Hey guys, Bryce here. Forgot to mention, we're unboxing the Blue Yeti microphone this episode too. So ladies and gentlemen, like, comment, and subscribe for more content. Enjoy the episode for today. First up, reviewing episode three of Loki. And this is going to be a review for season one, episode three of Loki, which you can find on Disney+. Plus. So... This is a spoiler warning. If you haven't seen Loki episode three, go ahead and watch it and come back. Otherwise, if you don't care about spoilers, welcome to the party. So uh, overall, what did I think of this episode? I thought this was a good episode. I don't want to necessarily call it the weakest of the three because I think all three of the episodes have been really great so far. But this one, I would say, is, I'm going to say it's probably the weakest of the three, although it is still a very good episode. What really all goes on? Some fascinating discussions kind of take place between loki and sylvie sylvie is the character that we get introduced to in the ending of episode two loki calls her loki and then she says don't call me that call me sylvie she's a she's taken on a new name so therefore known as sylvie basically what these two are trying to do is they're trying to escape to the tva sylvie is hellbent on meeting the timekeepers at least from what it looks like in order to do whatever it is she's going to do them however uh, her and Loki kind of get caught in this crossfire and then they end up on this moon that's about to go into an anarch anarchaic event. If you guys don't recall from episode two, Sylvie's been hiding in these anar anarchy events in order so the TVA can't find her. And now her and Loki find themselves caught in one of these and now have to find their way off of this moon. But that's basically the main arc of the entire episode. Overall, what I really love about the MCU and Marvel titles in general is they do a really great job of making, focusing on one particular point, but having a lot of great moments along the way and a lot of good character development and character dialogue. In this episode, there were, I'd say, two or three great points within it. The first of which was uh, Loki and Sylvie's dialogue about their mother, and it was really eye-opening to see that in Sylvie's life, which is just a different version, a variant of Loki's life, if you will, that uh, when she was really young, th their mother passed away and she doesn't really remember much of her. And then Loki, it kind of puts everything into perspective for Loki that he was lucky enough to have his mother his whole life up until that point, because at that point, his mother hadn't passed yet, wasn't killed yet. And so it kind of puts into perspective for him, like, how lucky he is to be able to say that his mother's still alive and that he's gotten to learn so much from her. And he does that little cool firework trick with his hands and shows it to Sylvie, which I really appreciate. I thought that was a really nice touch overall. And then following that up, the second great dialogue moment was their discussion on love and what exactly it is. It, I think all great art really asks, what makes great art, what makes great literature is that that can spark discussions that are so applicable to real life and what more is applicable to life than love a lot of people search for it a lot of people seek it out and a lot of people experience it so I really liked how the MCU really threw that in there and Loki and Sylvia were having that dialogue and I also really like Loki's use of the dagger in in doing so in their interpretation of love so 
it felt a little, uh, I don't want to say it felt out of place, but it felt kind of random. But at the same time, I didn't really mind the fact that it was random. I really appreciated it, and I didn't expect that from the episode. So it, it, there's got to be something to pass the time, right? Because like I said, the only thing they're really doing this episode is trying to get off of this moon and out of this anarchic event so they can survive and get back to the TVA. So food for thought there. And I would say that the third most interesting point of this particular episode was the fact that we really discover a little bit more about the TVA agents and who they are. When Loki and Sylvie, they're getting close to getting on what they call the Ark. The Ark is what the people on this moon use to escape this anarchic event. But anyways, Sylvie drops to us a little bit of a nugget saying that uh, earlier on in the episode, she tries to get one of the TVA agents through her mind tricks to reveal the location of the timekeepers. And she mentions that she had to use an event in the TVA agent's memory from hundreds of years ago. And this kind of sparks a thought in Loki's mind. He's like, well, if she had a memory from hundreds of years ago and it was a memory of her on Earth, therefore thus establishing she is a human from Earth who is now a TVA agent, Loki's like, wait a second, I was told that all the TVA agents were created by the timekeepers. And Sylvie says, no, that, that's absolutely not true. This TVA agent was born, raised, and lived on Earth for a long, long time. And Loki was like, well, that's where all the TVA agents think. They all think they were created by the timekeepers. So I'm glad that this episode gave us at least a small step closer to discovering who exactly the timekeepers are and what their purpose is. And also how a lot of the TVA agents got there. Now I'm really curious to see more about how Mobius got to where he's at, who is Mobius in general. And I guess we'll have to stay tuned and wait to find out. And what, what are the plans for the timekeepers? And what exactly does Sylvie want for them? I guess it it it, it, it brings the converse, these conversations more to the forefront, but it doesn't quite give us a ton of closure quite yet. I'm anticipating in episodes four, five, and six, because unfortunately there's only three episodes left that will get a lot of these questions answered, but I'm, I'm curious to see how everything's gonna turn out. And just to kind of wrap up the episode too, it, it I, I'm kind of bummed out by the end of the episode. The reason being is because I didn't feel like it was a very fulfilling conclusion. You know, Loki and Sylvie, there's a lot of cool action in this episode for, from the both of them. A lot of cool fight sequences, which I actually kind of enjoyed. I don't know why I enjoy seeing those two fight together. They seem like they got really great chemistry. And sorry, I'm jumping around a little bit, but while I'm on that, Loki and Sylvie both had really good chemistry in this episode. And it made me actually appreciate these conversations a lot more. So I just want to toss that in there. But... Anyways, so they're like this close to getting on the Ark and getting off of the moon, but then the Ark is destroyed by one of the pieces of the planet that's crashing toward it. So, and then the episode just kind of ends, like Sylvie just kind of walks away really pissed and Loki's just kind of standing there like, oh shit, what do we do now? So, I mean, I, although I can't think of quite a better way to really end the episode, I, I think the episode maybe could have used 10 more minutes uh, past that to discover what the heck they're gonna do. I guess it with the ending that they did choose, it leaves a little bit more intrigue for episode four, along with the points about the TVA that I just mentioned. So it, at the same time, it gives us something to look forward to, but I think it could use a couple more minutes to hash out uh, what exactly they go from, from there in order to get off of that moon. So I'll be curious, and I'm really looking forward to season, to seeing episode four of Loki. So Ladies and gentlemen, like I said, overall, I thought this was a good episode. I want to know what you think, though. What did you think of Loki Episode 3? Feel free to jump down in the comments below and let me know whatever your thoughts are. Next up, reviewing What Remains of Edith Finch. What Remains of Edith Finch is a game that possesses imaginative storytelling in a compact form. 
Additionally, it's a title that flew under some people's radar, myself included. However, as the credits began to roll, I came away with a satisfying tale about a family and their unfortunate legacy that suits those looking for a compact story. The best way to describe what remains of Edith Finch is something akin to an interactive movie. He plays a young woman named Edith Finch and is the last surviving member of the Finch family. Years have passed since her and her mother have left their family behind, and now Edith is enduring a homecoming to uncover her family's history and why her mother was so hellbent on keeping it a secret from her. The playthrough time was about two to three hours, and you get several unique and interesting perspectives from all members of the family throughout. What Remains of Edith Finch is a game that thrives in simplicity. There were no collectibles, cutscenes, or load screens through the entire playthrough. I found this to be a refreshing style of playing through the game, as I was in the driver's seat at all times, and thus felt empowered to move at my own pace. It helped me focus on the story of the Finch family and what makes them unique, which is where the game's strength lies. The controls are simplistic, again reinforcing the game's desire to have you focus on the storytelling at hand, rather than struggling to learn new gameplay elements. You can complete your playthrough by only using the left analog stick in combination with the right bumper or right trigger. With the game's heavy focus on story, it uses unique, effective mechanics to accomplish that goal. As Edith, you search throughout the Finch family homestead for clues that revealed the circumstance of each family member. When you encounter these clues, you transition from the viewpoint of Edith to the viewpoint of the family member at hand as written in the context of the clues. This makes for unique storytelling because you're not actually playing as each member of Edith's family, but rather, you're playing as what Edith imagines each member of the family was like based on the clues she's reading or examining. We get to see Edith's imagination at work and how she imagines their family, giving us a fully omniscient view of how she is coping with discovering each piece of it. Although the simplicity of the game can be viewed as reinforcement for the story, it made the gameplay feel empty, bland, and repetitive. The number of times I used the right bumper to examine a clue or open a gate became monotonous after a while. In essence, you repeat the same tasks over and over again throughout the entirety of the game. On a positive note, the game does employ a couple breaks in gameplay where you are fully immersed in the environment of the clue you're examining, rather than the house that you're exploring, which is a welcome change of pace. What Remains of Edith Finch is a satisfying, narrative-story-driven game that is compact. There's a consistent focus on story, and the manner in which they reveal each Finch family member is unique and imaginative. The game does not help in that department as you use the same small set of controls throughout. The game is an okay experience that won't appeal to most audiences, but I would recommend it to those that enjoy narrative-based games who are looking to pass a couple hours of time. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for stopping by for another game review. This has been the Bankrupt Hippo YouTube channel. Like, comment, and subscribe for more content. Next up, unboxing the Govi Flow Pro Light Bars. Enjoy! These bars are essentially used for the back of your computer monitors, TVs, and otherwise, just to reduce some eye strain or to give a little bit of extra added cosmetic energy, which is what I mainly use it for. So let's just open it up and get right into it. All right, so first I'm just going to kind of cut open the box, get rid of that safety tape. And the first thing that we see when we open up the box is the good old instruction manual and a little bit of propaganda from Govi just telling us to install their app. No unboxing is good without either of those items, so instructions will help you out later on. 
Let me just take out this top box initially. There's a little white box on the top of this. I'm just going to put that off to the side to the now, just make sure I empty out the entire box first. Next, we've got the stands for the light bars. There's two different options. There are triangle ones where you can prop the bars up right behind your TV. And those are good for mainly PCs, I would say. And then the next options are ones that can actually mount right to the back of your TV. It has some 3M tape that shouldn't damage the back of your panel and can go on nice and snug for your viewing pleasure. And then looks like we got more boxes over here on the right. We'll find out what those are in just a second. I'm guessing it's going to be the power adapter uh, things to set up the camera, things of that nature. So let me just take a little bit more of a deep dive into this box, make sure I'm not missing anything overall. And it looks like we've got another <laughs> another small box hidden behind there. This box is just full of surprises. And it looks like the only thing that we have next are these little orange cubes. I believe those are used to set up the camera. For those of you who don't know, there's a camera that comes with this that can adjust the color of the light bars based on what your TV is displaying. So pretty cool overall. Let's open up these bad boys though. So first let's open up the smallest box that we have. I'm going to guess this is going to be the power adapter. And if I can get this box open and my fingers aren't too clumsy, I can actually show you guys what we got going on. But it looks like I was correct. So this is the power adapter that we're going to use to you guessed it, put power into our light bars and get them going to display what we need them to display. Next, got another smaller box. I'm going to guess this is the uh, motherboard, if you will. It's got three different settings. It's got turning it on and off. It's got a middle button for adjusting the color and also the mode as well. And it's got some 3M tape, so if you also want to strap it to the back of your TV or monitor, you can do that as well without harming your TV. And then lastly, we've got another smaller box, I should say second to last, because we got the biggest box coming up. I'm going to guess this is going to be the camera that goes onto the top of your monitor that monitors uh, whatever color your uh, display is showing and adjusts accordingly. And yep, I was right. And it comes with, you guessed it, 3M tape on the bottom so that you can strap it to the top of your monitor or TV, if your TV is thick enough, that is. In my case, I won't be using this because the top of my TV is less than an inch thick, so this won't fit, but for you, it probably will. Then lastly, we've got the granddaddy of all the boxes within the box, and I'm going to take a wild guess and say these are the two light bars. And what do you know? We open it up and we see the two light bars. They are pretty tall, uh, 10 inches tall to be exact. It, and it does, 10 inches doesn't sound like a lot, but with these definitely a lot taller than I ever thought they would be. I was concerned that these wouldn't emit enough light in the back of my TV. I have a 65 inch TV just for a little bit of reference for you guys at home there. But yeah, these things are nice and sizable without being too big. Uh, durable as well. They don't feel too cheap and they've got wires on the bottom that can connect to the motherboard piece that we found earlier. So then you can get power to these and change colors and whatever else. And the cords are plenty long too. So if you guys are worried about uh, not having a ton of room to work with, I'd say these cords are probably about eight feet to six feet long, give or take. Now, I ended up putting these behind my soundbar and also behind my TV. I didn't end up putting them on my TV because I was I just bought a brand new TV and I wanted to try something different. So I have my soundbars on the ground actually pointing to the ceiling and they really emit some really strong light. I ended up choosing purple for mine, but the cable management 
was a little bit left to be desired. I think there's too many cables that come with this product overall, but I can't complain about the lighting options that we've got because you can choose just about any other color. And it comes with an app too, so that always helps. So overall, I think it's worth a shot if you guys are looking for different light solutions. But I want to know what you think. Have you guys tried these? Comment below. Let me know. Keeping it moving, we're going to unbox the Blue Yeti microphone. Enjoy. To talk all about a new microphone I purchased recently. It's going to be the Blue Yeti Blackout microphone that is available on Amazon and a lot of other outlets as well. The story goes is, if you guys haven't noticed, my audio in my videos has been quite poor lately. The reason being is because I dropped my old microphone and I had to throw it away because the USB connection broke and now it's sitting off in a landfill somewhere. Sad face. But the reality is I had to get a replacement mic and I figured what better way to introduce that than to unbox it and show it all to you and what it's all about. Maybe if you're looking for a new microphone and are looking to see what the Black Yeti is all about, this is the right video for you. So about this microphone... Of course, it's made by Blue Yeti, I believe is the official brand, or just Yeti, can't really exactly remember. But this microphone comes in three different models, if I'm not mistaken. There is the Blue Yeti Nano, which is a slightly cheaper version than this. It's about $30 cheaper. It retails at about $80 to $90, depending on where you get it. There is just the Blue Yeti, they call this the Blackout Microphone, if I'm not mistaken. This is in the middle tier. This cost me about $109. I got it off of Amazon. And then there is the Blue Yeti X, which is the highest end version of the three. I believe it retails at about $140. Last I checked, but check on Amazon. You can find all those microphones there or on Yeti's website. You can also find it there. So just taking a look at this box. The one thing I really love about this thing is the fact that how artistic and creative it is. So first we've got, of course, Blue Yeti blackout with a picture of the microphone in all of its glory. But then we've got some artwork here of different yetis on the other side which i particularly love just gives you a little bit of literature something to read on the box it has a definition of yeti which says legendary ape-like creature who roams the himalayas see abominable snowman two an incredibly versatile usb microphone found worldwide synonyms amazing vocals music podcasts voiceovers interviews conference calls field recording and much much more so that's what it all says on each of these squares on the box along with some pictures of yetis i actually really enjoy that that's pretty funny i think and it really outlines in a creative way what exactly this microphone is designed to do which is to record excellent audio quality which after i open it all my videos will sound quality hopefully i just have to make sure i don't fumble over my words then on the other side it's got a little bit more detail as to what the four settings are about so it says on the box four settings, infinite possibilities, and then it's got details of different settings on the back of the box. I'm gonna take a deeper look at this. Uh, let's see, omnidirectional, cardioid, bidirectional, and stereo. Those are the four settings that it specifies here. It talks about recording and streaming applications. So for example, can you use it for game streaming? Yup, can you use it for Skype and Discord? Yup, podcast voiceovers. Events, orchestras, conference calls, all of that is detailed on the box here. I won't go through it ad nauseum because it's just a lot of reading and I don't want to completely spoil it for you guys in case you get this particular box. So last but not least on the last and fourth side of the box, it just has some details about all the different settings saying it's the ultimate USB microphone, including where the mute button is, where the stand is, and all of that other good stuff as well. Let me actually take a look real quick to see the master volume 
zero latency headphone output. So if you guys want to plug in your headphones, it's got that output as well, which I think is pretty standard for most microphones. It's got a USB mini jack. It's got a threaded mic stand mount. This mount looks really, really sturdy. I'm excited to open this and see what it looks like. And then it's got quote unquote, a custom base with cable management. And it also includes a USB cable. That is everything that is detailed on this side. So I've kept you guys waiting long enough. Why don't we open it? I'm gonna use a safety knife to do this. For those of you trying this at home, always be careful with the safety knife. Hence the name, safety, of course. So I'm just gonna go ahead and open this. So the microphone I had before this was one of those uh, star ones you can buy on Amazon for like 30, 40 bucks. I think I picked it up during a holiday season and it worked well, but like I said, if I didn't drop it, I'd still probably use it. But in this case, I've been making videos for about a year now, so I figured why not upgrade and get something a little bit nicer. Plus I can use it for a lot of different purposes rather than just making videos. So out of the box, let's see, very tip of top here. Wow, this thing's actually a little heavy. One thing I wanna mention about this box too, it's got some weight to it. It's got probably three or four pounds on it. And wow, this thing does not wanna come out. So I'm gonna just, okay, so out of the box, we get another box. There's nothing left in here. So I'm just gonna move this out of the way. We come upon yet, what do you know? Another box, probably containing our microphone. Get out the safety knife again to open this. There we go. All right, so. All right, so first look, we open it up. We see we've got some cables and whatnot. So the first cable we're gonna grab, it looks like it is the USB cable. So this will go into the microphone if I'm not mistaken. I'll just put that down here. We've got, of course, no microphone or any electronic is complete without a user manual and manufacturer's warranty and of course, it comes in multiple language languages and that's the boring part though. So then come upon a bit of foam. I'm just going to go ahead and slide this out. I'm going to pull on it with both sides. We'll get the foam out of the way. That's not the fun part. If it was bubble wrap, that'd be the fun part. But in this case, it is not. All right. So pulling this out. Wow. This thing comes fully assembled. I didn't realize that. Woo, baby. Okay. I'm going to tear off this plastic. There's nothing else in this box actually. So I'm just gonna get this out of the way. Wow, here it is. Okay, so this is the microphone in all of its glory. So I guess in order to really get it to fit in the box, it actually goes upside down. Like I said, this thing has some weight to it. It's very solid metal. At least I think it's metal. Either that or it's really, high quality plastic, maybe it is high quality plastic, but the stand's got a bit of foam at the bottom so then you can kind of cushion it and it's just not thumping on top of your desk or whatever surface you put it on. And then here is the USB plug-in right here. It's really small so you guys might not be able to see it as well as the headphone jack. Like I said, the stand is very durable. I'm convinced that it's metal. The more I press on it, it's very solid. It doesn't go anywhere. Now let's see if I can rotate this mic easily. And I can. Yeah, so this thing kind of rotates up like this. So you can adjust it to wherever you're sitting. And you can use, it looks like these, this knob or these, whoops, these knobs on the side in order to tighten it down, perhaps. I might have to play around with that a little bit later, but 
that seems to be the case here, and that's what mm -hmm. I assume. And here's that bead sound that we heard earlier. Yeah, I guess it helps maintain freshness or something. Kind of like what they do with shoes. Never really quite understood it myself, but hey, shoes always smell good out of the box. So this is the microphone out of the box in all of its glory with the blue Yeti symbol right there. Or is it just Yeti? No, it is blue Yeti. On the front here, we've got the mute button. If I just press it, it looks like it turns on, or maybe I have to rotate it. I'll have to play around with this a little bit later, but yep, just the push of a button. Then, of course, we've got the volume button, of course, right to left, left to right to, in order to turn the volume up or down. On the other side, we've got some different patterns that you can use depending on what voice settings you want to be tailored to your audio, and then it can just rotate from right to left, if I'm not mistaken. One thing I want to say with, these, with this particular button or these buttons is they're very tight. It's very hard to rotate these just with finger strength in general. Maybe that or I have weak hands. That could very well be too. And then last but not least, we have the gain button, which, like I said, you can adjust that to your liking as you see fit. A lot of times I like to plug in my headphones when I listen to my audio, especially for podcasting, and that might come in handy as well. So one thing I want to say, my initial impressions are it's very durable. It's very well built. Like if I dropped this thing, I don't think I'd be too scared about it losing functionality at all. Not like my old microphone. My old microphone was probably a quarter of the weight of this. This thing is quite heavy and quite sturdy. It's heavy duty, which if you need to bring it with you on the go, I think it could actually fit in most of your suitcases. So it's nice and portable. It's very versatile. It's very simple so like there's not a whole lot of things that go into it which someone like me who's a bit newer to these microphones that's kind of nice and plus two it it's i like the color all black i pretty much go with that with everything including this desk that you see here and the really nice thing i like about it is the fact that it can rotate on a dime just like that in any direction i need it to so for example if i had it up high like this i could adjust it accordingly if i had it down low like this i could also adjust it accordingly one thing besides the buttons i've already covered that still trying to find exactly how to tighten this thing there we go so basically it has two knobs in order to tighten it and loosen it one on each side of the microphone so if i turn them both lefty loosey you can see the microphone starts to move around be careful don't smash it like i did if i start turning it righty tighty on both sides i might add because you gotta do it on both because doing one just won't do it justice See, now it doesn't go anywhere, and it works just fine. So, like I said, guys, not really a whole lot to it. I would say that this is probably a really high-quality build microphone. So far, so good. For 100 bucks. I am totally okay with it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, so do you own the Blue Yeti Blackout microphone? If so, what do you think of it? What do you think? Comment below and let me know whatever your thoughts are. This has been the unboxing of the Blue Yeti Blackout microphone. If you guys like this content, feel free to like, comment, and subscribe, or hit the notification bell for more so that whenever I drop a new video, you won't miss it. Grand finale, let's talk about The Handmaid's Tale. This is a spoiler warning for season four, episode nine of The Handmaid's Tale. If you have not seen it yet and would like to see it, please go ahead and watch it and then maybe come back later to this video. Or if you just don't care about spoilers, welcome to the party. So season four, episode nine of The Handmaid's Tale, what all really went on? So June finally ends up telling Luke about the last time that she saw Hannah. For those of you who have been following the season closely, episode three, Hannah, or Hannah and June get to see each other again. But this time, 
It's a bit of a sour note. Hannah is quite scared of June because it's assumed anyway that Hannah's been brainwashed by Gilead to be afraid of June and it is obviously, it breaks June's heart and for any mother I can't even imagine. Luke and June, they're reflecting on this sort of moment and Luke convinces June that together they can end up getting Hannah back into Canada and back with them. So they end up deciding to go ahead and just sort of pursue that avenue and they try a few different things or a few different ideas run through their head. Uh, what it ends up coming down to is the fact that they can leverage Nick or Commander Lawrence in order to get to uh, Hannah. So first they try out Commander Lawrence, they arrange a phone call and Commander Lawrence proposes a deal. He says, all right, you know what, I'll tell you what, June, if you bring back five of the children that you uh, stole from Gilead, we'll give you Hannah. And she ultimately says, no, absolutely not, can't do it. And there's a really good moment in here between June and Commander Lawrence, and June is kind of just telling uh, Joseph Lawrence, like, hey, you're you're a good man. And he he has this moment where it looks like he's about to sort of break down and it, it it sort of reveals to us as the audience that he's still in there like so for me personally i still believe that joseph lawrence is a good man at heart and he doesn't really believe in this whole gilead thing and i think he's kind of putting on a facade and in that moment it at least gave me a bit of hope with that thought the fact that that there is a good person in him and that he doesn't really believe in gilead in general but uh he ultimately they can't come to an agreement so they move on and a couple nights later Luke uh, sits down with June and proposes the idea of then going to Nick for help and uh, oh man I gotta give it to the actor who plays Luke my man OT he is just he's crushing it this season but he's talking to June about obviously Nick and Luke in the letter that June wrote to him I believe in season three knows about what has gone on between uh, Nick and June, and obviously Nicole was conceived by the both of them, at least as far as we know, uh, Nicole was conceived by the both of them. So it's sort of like killing him to suggest going, uh, using Nick as a route to maybe get to Hannah. It's like Luke is sort of recounting the fact that, oh, like June is with, or was with another man in Gilead and that he would do anything for her. And it's like, you could just see, it's like, I don't know if it's a pride thing or not, but you could just see it's kind of tearing Luke apart a little bit to kind of uh, suggest such a thing. But he knows at the end of the day, but for her or for June and for him to get Hannah back, it's for the best. So he ends up proposing that idea and they're both, they're both okay with it. So they decide to arrange a meeting with Oh, and I keep forgetting the Canadian agent's name. We're just going to keep calling them the Canadian agent because I just can't remember his name. Anyways, so they arrange for this meeting and then actually Luke suggests to June, why don't you bring Nicole with you to see Nick because you said he would do anything for the both of, both of you, right? So that might help you a little bit. Go ahead and bring Nicole with you. So June and Nicole go to see Nick, of course, escorted by Canadian Secret Service because this was all arranged between... Canada and Nick so June gets this moment with Nick to see him again to show him Nicole and how big she's gotten because obviously some time has passed since he's last seen Nicole and Nick before before June even tells them why they wanted to meet up Nick already has a folder full of information that he gathered about 
Hannah, and he kind of explains to June, before you had gotten to Chicago, I'd assume you would come back and look for Hannah, so I'd already started gathering up some information for you. And he gathered a whole bunch of stuff. He figured out that Hannah is living in Colorado Springs, that she's going to some kind of art school, she's a good student, etc. and so forth, and has this wealth of photography and things that he was able to collect from people who were friendly to him in Colorado. So it was a really nice moment, and it really obviously touched June's heart because she's Hannah's mother. And then Nick and uh, June, they have their moments, they say their goodbyes. You could feel the love between the two of them, and it just really makes me wonder about the love triangle that goes on between Luke, Nick, and June. It, it's such a strange situation to be in, and it's something that harks all the way back to the first season when we all thought Luke was dead and it was presumed he was dead, and then it just complicates things. So I'm curious to see where the series will end up taking that at the end of the day. I have my thoughts and theories on that, but I'll save it until the next episode of The Handmaid's Tale Talk. But anyway, so then they return back. June gets to show Luke all the pictures that uh, Nick has given her, and he's just crying out tears of joy. He's just so happy to see uh, Hannah, even if it's just in pictures again. And the episode kind of goes from there. I'll touch on the end of the episode in just a bit, but I first want to talk about what else went on this episode because a few other plot points have progressed. And I want to say that this episode, it kind of, in the last episode, everything had kind of like started coming together into one plot line. And now this episode has kind of branched out into like three different ones. The second of the three besides June meeting up with Nick is Janine actually continuing her quote unquote service as a handmaid so at the very beginning of the episode she's scrubbing floors and then a handmaid is brought in and trying to be forced to eat because she's going on a hunger strike and who is it but mrs keys from the first and second episode of this season and i was eating popcorn while watching this moment and when the camera pans up to see it's mrs keys or her name is actually esther i literally like all the popcorn fell out of my mouth i was so shocked i had no idea we'd see her again after the second or third episode or whatever it was but it was it was just a very jaw-dropping moment literally popcorn was falling out of my mouth but she's going on a hunger strike and janine essentially wants to do what she can in order to keep her alive for whatever reason and it's kind of weird because in this episode, Janine's kind of resorted back to being, uh, I guess, obedient to Aunt Lydia. Like I said, the relationship between Janine and Aunt Lydia is so fascinating to me. It's one of so much pain but love at the same time. It's really, really weird. But anyways, not really too much happens in that regard. Janine convinces Esther to eat because the one point that she brings up to Esther is like, stay alive for as long as you can because... I want you to be around when things eventually do get better. And I guess Janine's argument is basically be patient. It might not, everything might seem really shitty now, but eventually things will get better. And I think that Esther ultimately buys into that and believes in it. So at the same time, Janine not only saves her own skin because Aunt Lydia and the rest of the aunts were thinking about sending her off to the colonies, but also saves Esther from the same fate too. So Janine saves both of them and it really shows her growth again because Janine's got to do the essentially the lesser of the two evils are the harder of the things in order to keep them alive. And it's again, showing growth because she even says herself in this episode, June's not around anymore. So they got to take care of themselves and survive, which I wonder if she's mad at June for escaping to Canada. Actually, I would, I take that back because when aunt Lydia said that June escaped to Canada, she was really, really happy. So I'm going to scratch that from the record. But anyways, that's really, uh, we get a little bit of Esther and 
Janine in this episode, which was, I think, a nice uh, preview into what's been going on in Gilead overall. So the third thing, the third main plotline that kind of happens and follows along this episode is a situation between Fred and Serena, because Serena is getting further along in her pregnancy by the day in the show. You can see her belly growing, and really, it's like the tide really starts to turn for them in this episode, meaning that at one point they're having a baby shower for their son, and it's really weird because it kind of harks on last episode, and a lot of the gifts they receive for the baby shower are from people of Canada who support the cause, of Gilead, which is, again, really weird and strange to think about in the grand scheme of the world of The Handmaid's Tale. But yeah, and it's a lot of Toronto Maple Leafs jerseys, which is kind of funny. I really liked how the show did that. Plus, the Maple Leafs have really cool jerseys. I'm sure those of you watching this right now who are fan of, fans of Toronto really enjoyed that bit of the show. But anyways, uh, in addition to that, Serena ends up getting to see one of the other commander's wives, and one of the, I think her name was Naomi. Yeah, Naomi Putnam. It was the Putnams that they get to see. And basically, the gist of that conversation is the fact that once the baby is born and Fred and Serena are locked away in Canada, Gilead takes the baby back to Gilead and raises him there. And Fred and Serena are like, absolutely not. That's not happening. So uh, along the way, all the while while this is going on, you start to notice some very strange things about like Fred and Serena's change in mindset about their lives, I guess you could say, because earlier on, all the way basically up until this point, they've all been about Gilead. They have always supported Gilead. And now they're discovering that they're kind of being left in the dark from Gilead. Even uh, Commander Putnam basically tells Fred, yeah, you're on your own here, pal. We can't come and get you. And Fred feels slighted and betrayed by that. He And also along the, the way, Fred is encouraging Serena to write a book again, and in Kiliad, when she did that and read and she lost a pinky, and now Fred has, like, done a whole 180, is encouraging her to write again, so it's like he, he, it, it, it's like with the birth of their child or with the uh, introduction of their child, it's like they're, all their mindsets kind of change, and it, I thought it was a really fascinating take on what uh, the introduction of children can do into uh, people's lives. So really interesting in that regard too. And at the end of the day, it's they're, they they're, they just decide essentially they're going to do what's best for them, which brings me to the very end of the episode. So basically going back to Luke, looking at the pictures of Hannah that Nick gave them, uh, Luke, Luke, Moira and June are all basically like, okay, like this is Nick can help us. And, uh, what, what what can we do? And they, the, the, the Canadian agent is here during this point as well. But the Canadian agent says, yes, we have an asset inside of Gilead, and now we have a new one outside of Gilead. And they're all kind of like, oh, who's this new outside, uh, what do you call it, outside asset? And then he says, Fred Waterford. And then the whole room just goes silent. And the, 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 the show did a really good job of doing this, but they changed the music, my heart sinks, everybody's heart sinking. And then they say, like, what? How is that possible? Because, they're, you know, they thought he was going to be going to prison forever. And he says, basically, in exchange for his freedom, Fred Waterford has agreed to share any information about Gilead to Canada that they want to know. So it, 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 everything just hits the fan at this point. June, obviously, is beyond upset. Moyer is obviously beyond upset. Luke is obviously beyond upset. And June is like, why would you do this? You know what he did to these people. And he says, sometimes you got to let one big fish go to get a whole lot of other bigger fish. And I thought that was a very interesting 
analogy overall it's like it, it just begs really interesting questions about leaders in political positions and all that other good stuff and the difficult decisions that they make or what have you i know there's some deeper dialogue and conversation within that that i just can't quite wrap my head around but it was just such a profound moment because june's really pissed like she chases him outside screaming at him like i'm gonna fucking kill you she is not happy and who can blame her right like that to hear to hear somebody like fred waterford who's just gonna walk away from th this whole situation it, it it's got to be massively upsetting i it's just wild but that's kind of where the episode ends and we go from there. So I'm really excited because this is the second to last episode of the season with the season finale being episode 10. I'll do another talk for that one as well. But some other interesting thoughts I kind of have. I'm curious to see what's going to happen with Janine and Esther. We only get little breadcrumbs of it in this particular episode. But where do they go from here? I'm curious to know. And plus, what's going to happen with... Uh, June, what is June going to do about the news that she's been given? What are they going to do about Hannah? It's like June, it's like she can't escape uh, just having a whirlwind and roller coaster of emotions and things going on between Hannah, between the Waterfords getting in the way, between her trying to live life. It's like, wow, like things are just hitting the fan and stuff's going wild. And I also kind of want to know what's up with Commander Lawrence and seeing if his character ultimately it changes permanently for the better I guess you could say I I think they're still good in him and I think he will but I guess we'll have to see and sort of find out all right my friends so heavy scene season four episode nine of the Handmaid's Tale if so comment below and let me know whatever you thought of it all right ladies and gentlemen that'll do it for this episode of Coffee and Kernels from the Bankroll Pippo YouTube channel thanks so much for sticking around I've been Bryce and until the next video have a great day